Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. Grow With Us is a podcast that focuses on a talent advising organization for startups, local businesses, and expanding corporations. My name is Evan Barton, and I will be your host each week, where I'll be joined by a guest who is making a difference in Tulsa by furthering our mission of creating equitable opportunities via technology, innovation, and strategic partnerships. This week, we are in conversation with Partnerships and Data Associated in Tulsa, Patrick Hosford, who will be chatting with me about data, creating space for economic growth, and his recent move to Tulsa. Welcome, Patrick. You have a great name, by the way. There's just like something about it. I really like it. Really? Yeah. No. Well, I'm a little biased. Yeah. uh, I don't go by Pat or Rick. It's Patrick. (laughs) Just like Patrick Starr. Uh, But welcome, Patrick. I'm I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Bob. (laughs) Let's get started kind of with a little introduction on what's going on uh, with you and kind of tell me your story in just whatever way you feel comfortable. Sure. So where to begin? Um. You know, I'm originally originally from Kansas City, so Tulsa wasn't a giant leap for me or a, kind of a reorientation of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But I had to um, make sure I didn't slip back into when I was 16, because that's kind of the last time I've lived in the Midwest. Um, growing up in Kansas City was great. So I grew up kind of in the suburbs there, um, right outside of Kansas City. Originally, you know... I, course i don't know like your high school career what you wanted to be or what you wanted to do i didn't know i kind of was like i don't really know what to do where to go what to be and uh so i just stumbled upon new york city and i was like i'm gonna go there and figure it out and then lived there for a while did a few jobs here and there made some money enough money to get back to school and to be able to pay for it for one so i Paid my way through school after figuring out I was really interested in trash. Trash? N- yeah. Interesting. Right. D- tell me more. Not like a raccoon's fascination, not for like survival, but just general logistics of picking it up was interesting, right? So if you think about like the night- nightly pickup orchestra, which is, of course, the brigade of trucks that go out and how that's all orchestrated and where it goes and the barges and where they're, you know, they go off to and even if we think of like the logistics behind solid effluence where that goes in new york where where does new york's problems go i think that was what really opened my eyes towards government functions and moreover just getting involved in government and being involved in that sphere and creating those changes because i was like you know i'm really interested in sustainability or environmentalism and making a difference and maybe there's some way to do trash better some way to pick it up and in fact like there is some sort of inherent efficiency at play whether you know it or not and there's like this other thing where you create efficiency and efficiency happens sporadically or without one's input if you think of how cities came about and how they're oriented and sometimes how haphazard development makes the most i don't know viable living situation so i applied to hunter at the city universities of new york Hunter College, historically and all. So I saw that Hunter College had an urban studies kind of planning pathway degree program to get a Bachelor of Arts. And I said, now's the time to go to school. I took off a few good amount of time <laughs> to kind of figure everything out. And eventually I, I tested in and I went to school and slowly sharpened my planning tool, learned a lot about data and 
the world behind that. Originally thought I wanted to get into green roofs, and that was my first first gig there, working for the Department of Parks and Recreation in New York City, wow. doing their green roof installment. That's so cool to fit right in with Leslie Knope's office. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have been I would have been great at Pawnee for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely not more of a Tom really mm. than than much else. I think you're doing. I think that's awesome. I mean, you, it sounds like you learned more about trash and oh, <laughs> oh yeah. And the thing, well, it, king of it trash, sounds like the principle of trash more, more, more or less, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and just more how social innovation, and municipal ideas are born, and when someone in office or people on the ground, it's all about taking problems and figuring out how to solve them, but on a way that's replicable, scalable. And is almost yeah can live out in perpetuity. Yeah. Oh, you're you're touching on a lot of stuff I want to get to in this episode. That's awesome. Oh, okay. Let's get let's kind of move on to like sure. what has your experience as a Tolson been like? You've been here about two months, month and a half, a month, a month. Okay. <laughs> the time flies. Honestly, I can never right. remember. But you've been here a month. Like, yeah. tell me about your Tulsa experience. It's been it's been awesome. Definitely, it's interesting owning a car. I won't even say again because my last car was clearly owned by my parents. They were the rightful owners. I just drove it. But it's really nice having a car. Definitely, it's like a guilty pleasure of sorts, especially being from New York, where like you have a car and you're like, oh, look how many groceries I can carry now. Wait till the boys back home hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been great. More, more than that, really, it's been... Well, like the accessibility of the city has been incredible. The way that you can move around, the mobility, the actual, and I think Nicole hit on this, the grid, mm -hmm. right? The actual topography of the city is really interesting, especially the way that it's in the ravine here built by the Arkansas. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a nice little acronym that I, that I used as a 10-year-old to understand how to move throughout the city of golly, Miss Molly, shave your hair legs, please. It does all of the main streets in Tulsa, and then the rest of them are all like numbers. So it's like, I, can t I was a 10-year-old telling someone I was like going to 31st and Yale. Like, it was just easy. I, I knew where to go. Well, you know how the downtown streets are oriented? Alphabetical order by Main Street has cities west of... Tulsa and east of it, east of Main Street has cities east of Tulsa. I'm sorry. I tried to checkmate you there, but you you definitely put me in my place. I did know that one. <laughs> I'm glad that navigability is like becoming a conversation on this podcast or like a recurring theme because I, I do think that it's, I mean, I've lived in other cities yeah. too and it's like easy to get around if you know the area, but like it's like really easy to get around I, here. I think one of the worst things that can happen is people separate themselves from where they actually live. And when you think about falling in love with the city, it's actually investing yourself and becoming fully immersed in it, becoming part of the fabric. And that's one of the things that's so easy to do here in Tulsa, which I find it's commendable how there's so many pathways and openings. And it's not that there wasn't openings in other places. They're just a little bit more overt here. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's intentionality behind it, or back in the day there was intentionality behind it, and then now we're kind of taking that intentionality and just pushing the envelope a little bit more of, we, we want this, not these type of people to come, we want all types of people to, to come and be able to experience this city experience, so. And it's not like there's any exclusion either from the people who have lived in Tulsa their whole life. It's the, In fact, they're probably the catalyst behind most of these communities that are being born. And then people who are moving to Tulsa are seeing that they're becoming a part of it. 
I love that you talked about kind of the accessibility of communities here. So kind of give me a little bit more about like how specific communities have impacted you and your professional trajectory. That doesn't necessarily have to be related to Tulsa, but just who have you interacted with and what have they, what kind of path have they put you on? This is great because I think one of the the first really communities I interacted with just workforce development wise, which is what I've managed to do right now in some shape, form or fashion here in Tulsa. But when I was working at the parks department, I worked for um, originally for green roofs. And then I figured out maybe this isn't, this is really interesting work, but I don't know if I'm really compelled by it. Although looking at the pounds per square inch of a, of a roof is interesting and knowing that it's highly influenced by age of a building too and materials they could get hold of and um but i positioned into another program in the parks department i switched departments went to the parks opportunity program formerly known as pop and there they work with hra and social role beneficiaries or people who are receiving money from the state or federal levels and it's really an interim employment program that works with the parks department who happens to be one of the largest seasonal employers in New York City. It's one of the largest workforce development programs in the US, if I'm not mistaken. It's definitely the largest in the city because once spring spring hits, um, the parks department has all these roles to fill. Essentially, they have to have this huge wave of employment to go out there and patrol the parks, making sure they're clean, making sure that they're suitable for the populations who are going to be there more frequently during the spring, summer, and fall months. So they need just a slew of people. And part of that was getting people who are historically out of employment or can't find employment into jobs quickly and giving them the resources and career tools to propel them from this job after a certain certain threshold, which is they work for the parks department. And then afterwards, they're given the career tools and networking abilities and connected with the employer for you know, more full-time employment. Some of that was stopgaps and working with certain organizations that the career trajectory was limited, but others really laid down an inroad for what to do next, especially during a time where maybe there was no even road to begin with. So, and that's what I realized working in workforce development in working with people, especially in one's career and making sure that those pipeline opportunities the infrastructure is there to support people historically left out or even people who are untraditional to the workforce are included yeah it sounds like you're you got the opportunity to see kind of a workforce development program in action and and also participate in it and now what i would say your role is and tulsa is looking at those programs and seeing where it's worked in other cities and the actual numbers effect that's had on like the economy or the job economy and seeing what can be done here i guess so it sounds like that was a direct implication of that of that experience which is really cool but there, there is so many ways to slice the pie and if everyone's not participating you're stymieing economic growth i mean just in its purest form right that if we think of mass participation in the economy i don't know people talk about the glory days of the booming 50s mm-hmm and then how everyone was participating ostensibly. So that's what we have to see. And especially right now when work is one more accessible than ever. And we have to make sure that these 
barriers to entry are broken down in a way that allows for full participation, especially if we want to keep on growing as a nation, where the census report has shown we have not kept up. It's the second lowest growth percentage-wise, ever second lowest ever recorded by the census, by the Decino Census Bureau. When you say we, make sure, let me make sure oh, I understand. Sorry, the U.S. Do you mean the U.S.? Okay, I was like, Oops. Tulsa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, all of us, a collective yeah. whole, all of America. I think you're yeah. right on. Let's kind of pivot into this conversation more about like what you're doing at in Tulsa. And I think you're totally spot on with thinking about all of these different aspects that go into participation economy. And I, I kind of want to dive into that more with your role at in Tulsa and kind of talk about how data and policy intersect there. So do you mind telling me a little bit more about what you do specifically at our organization? Yeah. So at the organization, I'm kind of the main conduit that fuels wo- local partners with statistics that can help them on a programmatic level, but also on a talent identification level. And moreover, just your kind of boilerplate market analysis, where the our insights could help fuel local partnerships and help identify where maybe they don't exist and catalyze and then really help move the dial where they do. So that's what our data insights help fuel. And especially with such micro-level data that we can access on through our databases, it's really powerful. A small municipal level like Tulsa, or every decision, every decision is fueled by data. So the fact that we can create that fuel and help push Tulsa in that direction, especially on a partnerships level, really impactful. So that's kind of on a partnerships level, working day by day. Also, just identifying, making sure that everyone's in line on the the ecosystem is is big. And I know that's kind of a broader thing that's being done that really transcends in, in Tulsa too. But that's something that we could help orientate, making sure everyone knows what everyone's doing, and that if there's any duplicativeness, that making sure it's either augmenting playing with one another, that it's working in tandem, or maybe we're producing something that really doesn't have a need. And that's something that probably should be addressed too. This isn't to say that people don't know that, but this is more to say if we have the numbers and they exist, we should tell people. Yeah, exactly. I I think what would be important to kind of pull out from that is that what Patrick does on our team is local partners can be all different types of local partners. We've got organizations that are involved in early childhood healthcare. We've got organizations that are involved in early childhood education. And we've and then on the other end of that spectrum, kind of where we sit, is that we have organizations with workforce development. And from all from the, and the entire spectrum, we are using data to inform those organizations of how to make better decisions for growth is essentially what I heard you say. Yeah, exactly. What what insights can we gain and then give? That's, you know, on a partnership level, but also on a data level day to day, making sure that our program has efficacy and that we're delivering. So there's an internal metrics component too. So that's more the external metrics where we're feeding the ecosystem. The internal metrics are saying, what are, we, what, what are we doing to the ecosystem? Is what we're doing, is it just kind of a drop in the ocean? Or is it we really see that reverberation from our, from our program? So help you measure that too on the data side, make clarity of that. Yeah, definitely. And there's lots of, there's lots of data points. I mean, we, I, yeah. I feel like we're making a lot of waves, so we got to make sure we're catching all of those readings and making sure that we're using those to make informed decisions with going forward to create more programs or, or more opportunities for 
job sure. potential to grow or and especially and our, our focus specifically on is on this tech sector too exactly yeah in that way resources are allocated efficiently effectively and that the some results you know that we might have some somewhere where we might have not allocated money or allocated time strategy we do that i think i think you're i think you're totally right with just making sure we're, we're working on optimizing our programs and using data to do that which is, is is important to having a functional ecosystem so kind of thinking about that and taking a maybe a little bit of a step backwards how can an organization or city use data to drive equitable change um, and when i say equitable change i think what i specifically mean is especially in the job the job potential the job economy here because th- i think that's something that as i've been at in tulsa and learning more about what's going on with the population here is that the job economy has been a certain way for a certain amount of time. And I think what we are trying to do, and I want I want to know what your perspective is on this too, is just the diversification of that job economy. So I guess what role does data and obviously like policy have in that? And how can a, a city or organization use those tools? I guess the big thing here is to pull out what equity means when it's real reallocating resources, whether that be opportunity or make reallocating them in a way to make sure that everyone who didn't have access, because equality is access, right? Everyone may be equal, but reallocating that opportunity, reallocating that entry so that those historically left out the job market now have kind of a shoe in and one up, that's equity because it's making sure that people historically left out that those opportunities are there now. So maybe it's pointing out and making, I, I was reading a case study about Lakewood, a, a neighborhood in California, where it was a perfect, and this was high ownership rate in this neighborhood, but it was a perfect representation of the demographics behind LA. Meaning that proportionally speaking, Lakewood had as many owner-occupied homes demographically on the pie as LA did, or as that represents Los Angeles. So if you think of equality that way, where everyone's participating and it shows proportionally, that's pretty powerful. So when you, I guess going back then to the data question, first it's seeing where that void exists. And I think that's done tons of reports that exist in Tulsa, Impact Tulsa, equity indicators report by the city is just a great example of where equity exists or moreover where there's some equality that exists but equity is you know the reallocation of that so that's a good report and a good way to use data as a baseline nowhere to go from there so once you gain those insights and see what the landscape is like then you can really start making informed decisions on equity once you have your baseline. So when we think of the job market, it's looking at what's the percentage of those educational attainment. You know, what's the percentage of those which with a bachelor degree? What's the percentage with not? Then you break that down. Then you can start making informed decisions about equity. And when you look at the composition of a given occupation, what that looks like, like what's the diversity index like? Get, getting a pulse on that. Before you do anything else, you have to have your baseline. But then you figure out what's the type of talent we need to be fostering, creating, forging, building 
so that equity is achieved. Yeah, I think I think you're right on with kind of what's going on across our ecosystem. I, I think a lot of people have been working to solve all of those problems, whether it's exactly. the educational attainment issue or it's the, the the job economy issue or the lack maybe the lack thereof. So yeah, I, I, th I think that that is the way to get to equitable change because it's it's tackling it from both ends of the spectrum, from going to like a smaller high school that might have like a really high dropout rate and then no one of those students going to university, like that is an issue that the city can tackle because they can work on that high school. And then you also like, once you work on that, for those kids that do make it through, you then want to create an opportunity in the future so that they can remain in the city. I think it's it's really thinking longevity and and the whole timeline of people's like careers even before they have them, which is which, which is really difficult if you're <laughs> thinking about it from a strategy perspective because everyone is different and everyone has different inclinations and personalities and it, it just has it doesn't have to be a perfect system. I think it just has to be a system that works for lots of different types of people. Even if we think of a company in their makeup, right? Making sure the city's makeup is reflective, proportionally speaking, within that company. Do you reflect where you work? Yeah. And I think that's something that companies have to ask themselves every day. Like, do we look like the city we're located in? And I think that's where Tulsa could be kind of that guiding light of everyone who works at this company looks like what Tulsa looks like proportionally and everyone's participating. And that gets into larger programmatic questions and in infrastructure like you were alluding to with your educational pipeline and mm -hmm. what that looks like and making sure those barriers are tackled and moreover knocked down exactly and then on on our side it's making sure that the companies that we're talking to are introduced to this diverse candidate field and that tulsa is reflective of what a city can be that's very, very true. I, I think you're hitting on lots of what our day-to-days are focused on. So that's, <laughs> I love that. Our last question here, I want to round it out with just talking about the city on a larger scale again. Tulsa's a city that I would, note, I would note as being poised for growth in terms of the physical space. Um, we have lots of space for expansion. I, I've heard some anecdotes about how back in the 20s or whatever when Tulsa was a huge oil town like they had it built for you know four million people and now our like metropolitan area is only like a quarter of that size at a, at a million um so we're all kind of working to make sure that Tulsa grows and it grows scalably and efficiently so how do you make sure that a city can stay on pace for the economic growth that lots of different types of stakeholders are aiming to achieve to go back Tulsa was definitely a flex for sure. If we think of just municipal flexing, it was just like, look how much money we have. And it's all oil money. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, let's, let's build like, like we know we can. Yeah. That's kind of epitomizes Tulsa. I guess the biggest thing when it comes to building effectively and efficiently for growth is building with foresight and making sure either the legislation the infrastructure, or certain things are in place before they're even built. Making sure that there's that plan B kind of before things fall out. If you're predicting a lot of growth or maybe downtown there's an influx of capital and it's revitalizing one area and displacing another, 
you need to make sure you have those covenants in to make sure people aren't displaced, to make sure that housing is secure, to make sure that there's renter laws in place that helps prevent that tide from happening. So growth is only as good as participation and who gets to participate in that growth. Like, you know, renters, renters laws are one thing, making sure that people wield that power. And another thing, going back to what we're saying is jobs, you know, what we're attracting, who gets to participate, making sure if we do project growth in the city, that everyone who is a part of the city gets to, gets that fair share of the pie gets to participate in the growth, especially with the type of jobs we're attracting. And that's not to overlook kind of the secondary impacts of what economic growth can be, but it's to make it so that the direct impact we're having is the direct impact they're having. So growth, growth is kind of a double-edged sword, right? At one thing, it looks great on paper, especially like an influx of money or people, migration. But it's about having these pillars supporting the rest. And that definitely can't be overlooked when you're thinking about growth. And especially as Tulsa starts to grow, how are we growing? Are we growing for the future? And maybe that's that could be bringing in jobs that we know are sustainable and they have great outlook like your prototypical tech jobs or physically what's the makeup of the city like what's the infrastructure look like are we building outwards are we practicing safe growth sustainable growth growth that's prudent or that's unfettered that's another way to think about growth too and especially if we're thinking from more of an urban planning kind of design way it's oh, perpetuating yeah. inequalities too. We keep growing and yet people are ostracized even more. And not only that, that's kind of the social fabric we want to weave into the city too. It's right. Come grow with us. Isn't that our slogan? Oh yeah. It, it can't be that way if we're constantly creating pockets where growth exists. Siloed growth is never good. So, I guess the next steps when thinking about growth is charting those inroads and making sure that you have that plan B when growth doesn't go correctly. Um, but the biggest thing is just make these inroads for people historically in Tulsa as the city grows or as you attract new companies or new talent. Make sure that's there. Yeah, that's huge. I, th I think what you, you touched on right there was just how the siloed growth piece really sticks out to me is that you, you don't want to create growth for just one aspect of a city because then you're going to oversaturate some something is going to be oversaturated to the point where it can't either grow anymore or it doesn't create opportunities for other things to grow in its place yeah and then we it's and it's not completely removing that either from our dna like we are not we are never removing oil oil is our DNA. like it, it was the lifeblood of Tulsa, but it's diversifying that and making sure that vestigial piece of the economy plays a role, but in the larger body and makeup and composition too. 
Yeah, it's it's not a, a solo venture like it used to be, like gold or go- those kind of antiquated exactly. economic boosters. But we, we got to make sure it's diversified in, in more ways than one. So, right. Patrick, I, I think we've had a really interesting and very seemingly theoretical and very high level conversation today. Uh, it's been awesome. I, I think that taking some of the things from this conversation or things that I am taking from this conversation is just that it takes not only foresight, but just like sitting down and kind of confronting projections and makeup. And you can use little examples like trash as some type of either anecdote or or almost metaphor of like these larger scale issues and kind of like how you would address these logistics. And I think that it was really interesting. I love that we kind of got to go in and out of like deep, deeper things and then actual tangible things. So I just want to thank you. No problem. We were able to expound upon trash, I suppose. I don't know. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad we got to do that too. (laughs) If there's anything else that you would like to add either to any of the questions that I asked you or just like, where can people find you? If you would, you're down to talk to anyone that wants to talk to you, where can people find you? Just LinkedIn. I don't have uh, social media. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess it depends how you look at it. Um, Patrick Osford, that's my LinkedIn. Um, I know, I'm, I guess that's where to find me, where to talk to me. Um, also, I have a jazz profile. Mm. People want to. Where's your jazz profile? It's, um, I'm a record collector, so it's on Discogs. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna. You're definitely gonna get some other Discogs people. <laughs> oh, I hope. Yeah. So, if anyone wants to trade records, or if there's a great record community in Tulsa, point me in the right way. Oh, I love it. Th- <laughs> thank you for that, and thank you again for your time today and sharing with us everything that we discussed. Yeah. I'd like to plug a few resources for our listeners of Grow with Us that might be of use to you. If you'd like to stay in touch with all of our future jobs and opportunities in Tulsa, then please join our talent network. By joining our talent network, you let us know you're interested in working with an in Tulsa company, and our talent team will make sure we put the right opportunities on your radar. You can join at talentintulsa.com. That's talent.intulsa.com. Stay tuned for more Growth Us episodes about tips and tricks for the job application process, learning more about the amazing communities of support in Tulsa, and the tech and innovation that is attracting people across the country to the heartland. <laughs>